When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Go Huskies podcast is presented by Airvan Moving, the official mover of Husky football and your next move. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Okay, first Go Huskies podcast of the new year. Let's celebrate it with Jason Hamilton, uh, my broadcast partner on the men's basketball broadcasts, and uh, recently celebrating 500 hmm. games on the air. Jay Ham, happy new year. Happy new year. Congratulations, man. That's pretty cool. Thank you very much. I, I think um, you and I talked about the fact that 500 was approaching, uh, which kind of struck me. I don't think I would have even started to count had you not said, hey, how many games do you think you've done in your career? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, lo and behold, uh, as we started uh, taking a look at that, uh, just so happens that just celebrated 500. So I appreciate uh, you were actually the catalyst in, in making <laughs> all of that happen. And then I think I can even place blame on you for everything that happened subsequent to that with the whole, <laughs> for people that weren't in the arena, the whole uh, – uh, shindig that yes we put together. The, the video scoreboard and and uh, the graphic and the tweets and all that good stuff that i'm sure ashley and img and you had everything to do with so yeah the tip of the cap before uh the opening tip off and everything else but one of the things that i thought was really cool was coach hop got a basketball for you and had the whole team sign it and man that that's pretty neat because um, I think what's neat about a, a, a signed team ball is every team's so unique, right? Sure. And it kind of captures a moment and a feeling in time. It, it takes you back to, oh, gosh, I remember that team, and this is the Absolutely. team that went to Kansas and, and got the win, and this is the team that had the buzzer beater against Arizona, and this is the team that's making its run toward trying to put Husky basketball back at the top. And that's something that's now snapshot for you for all time. That's it is, cool. and it also says another thing. It, it shows you how – how much Coach Hop gets it, mm-hmm. how he understands community and he understands legacy and all that stuff. And, and for him to say a couple of nice words beyond the ball, just, you know, 
it is one of those weird deals where you know I've been involved in the program since you know 1994. Uh, for for all intents and purposes, there was a couple of years when I stopped coaching before I started doing the radio. So between basically 1994 and 2000 and now 19, you know there's a, there's a lot of years in that, and there's a lot of teams. And and you're right, this year's team and this group of 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 young men, I'll certainly remember, and it was a, it's a great memento. All right, well let's. I, I got to ask you, out of 500, give me a memory, like give me oh. something that like, um, just out of 500 games, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's Isaiah Thomas with the buzzer beater against Arizona, the Pac-10 championship game. Yes. There's you know NCAA tournament appearances. There's some lows. There's a lot of road trips. Give me a memory out of 500. What's what's one that really you know? Out? So if we're talking specific games, it's always going to be. It's always going to be the big ones, right? That's what you you love the big ones. And then when I say the big ones, it's going to be the NCAA tournament games or the Pac-12 tournament or Pac-10 tournament championships. But there's also some regular season stuff and there's some travel stuff. I mean, you know, if we want to talk about things you'll never forget, this year, my man, <laughs> this year going down to play Auburn and the bus fire is yeah. one that you just don't forget. Right. But in terms of games. Um, you know, I think back to Brandon Roy's team uh, losing to UConn. Uh, that was a Final Four team that just needed to get past UConn. It was the year George Mason went. Uh, you know, you get double technicals. Rudy Gay and Brandon Roy changed the complexion of the game. It changed everything. And, you know, I think Washington probably is in the Final Four that year. So that's one that's probably on the negative side since it was in a losing effort, but certainly one that sticks out. Bus fire, man. You, you brought up an interesting story because I think uh, a lot of people think about all this stuff as maybe glamorous yeah, and yes. they think about all the positives. And there are a lot of positives in doing this. We are lucky dudes. We are blessed to do what we do. But there's a lot in between there that happens that a lot of people don't think about all the time. And uh, <laughs> Coach Hop did a, an amazing job telling his version of that story. But one of the things that I'll always remember is, is we were sitting side by side on yes. that bus. And as we're motoring down, I think it was like I-65 or 85 or something toward Montgomery, about an hour and a half drive to our plane, mm -hmm. you know, we're just sitting side by side on a pretty quiet bus. Right. After, after, after a hard yes, loss. Yes. What? what <laughs> tell me your version of the story okay. of that night. So my version is, like you said, quiet bus. We're kind of everybody's into their own thing, whether that you have headphones on or coaches up front watching video of the game, um, you know, people listening to music. But it was it was fairly quiet. What I recall was driving down the highway and hearing a <laughs> and thinking, I I'm pretty sure we just either ran over something or blew a tire. Okay. It happens. Maybe we just ran over something. We keep going. And then a very high-pitched kind of whiny noise along with the thump comes through the bus. And you can start hearing this high-pitched. I'm sure that's great radio. Great radio. <laughs> just, hear, just fingernails on a chalkboard. But hearing that and then thinking, okay, we've got a, we've got a real problem here. We clearly have either popped a tire or there's something wrong with the bus. And then – maybe seven, eight seconds later, starting to smell either burnt rubber and or a little smoke. And then I remember me saying, hey, we 
I think we popped a tire, pull over, and he kept on going. The bus driver did. Hey, let's go, pull over. And then the smoke started to really come in, and I think the player started to panic a little bit. Then we finally got the bus to the curb, to the highway side um, in the median there. And, and then once we stopped, the smoke really built in, and I think – it was kind of almost like a stampede from the back of getting off the bus, and then you could hear Coach Hop up front, get the off the <laughs> bus. <laughs> get off the bus. Get off the bus. Everybody, get off the bus. And, um, you know, me being the veteran that I am, and you not, you don't even know where I'm going with this. You said stay calm. Yeah, I did say stay yeah. calm. but that, And I was talking to the players and because I could see them – trying to climb over the seats and no one's going to get out when you right. try to climb over stay calm that's what i said stay calm and then i did something that you didn't do i don't even think people know this story oh yeah i know where you're going you grabbed your bag i grabbed my bag <laughs> <laughs> i grabbed my bag that was sitting between my legs my backpack and i came off the bus and you know obviously we got off and as soon as we got off the back of that bus just just whoom, engulfed in flames and and the rest has been told. We're we're really fortunate that we laugh about it now because yeah. everything was okay. Um, but you know, I, there's so many different things that I remember about that night. And there's there's a dynamic there too of like, had that been a jovial bus that was coming off a win, maybe we speak up and and we we uh, say, you know, we're more comfortable to say, right. hey, something happened, pull over sure. a little bit. But there was, like, this dynamic of, like, I think a lot of people heard something in the back but didn't really want to be the first to say anything to interrupt this silence from uh, from a difficult moment, sure. you know. And so there's that at play, too. And it, it's kind of a good life lesson of, like, hey, when your intuition says speak up, go ahead and speak up. Right. Don't worry about, like, the awkward silence in the room. But – what I'll always remember about that um, is it sounds very dramatic and probably was for about 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. But then the ensuing two, two and a half hours was like this galvanizing moment of these of these young men just standing on the side of the highway like singing songs. Sure. One, one guy got his phone out and just starts blaring songs. And other people are just singing, lean on me. Right. And, and just – you know, I just remember guys smiling and laughing, and while we're while we're figuring everything else out, it's it's a galvanizing moment that I'm interested to see where our team goes from here mm -hmm. because this is a wide open Pac-12. Mm -hmm. Anything can happen this season, and that's that's one of those early season tone setting moments off the court that who knows where that's going to you know carry this team. Well, and I think I think you hit it on the head earlier when you say, you know, you're fortunate and blessed to be in the situation to play college basketball and have these experiences. And as harrowing as that one moment of time was afterwards, there was nothing else but to have complete joy about being safe, mm -hmm. about being with each other, about the moment of, yes, it's funny. Now we're standing on the side of the highway after getting beat by 22 and, the bus almost blew up, but guess what? We're here, mm -hmm. and let's move forward. And 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 now, now it's going to be a really interesting Pac-12 season. I mean, you couldn't have picked, uh, you couldn't have foreseen. I don't think what Washington, uh, Arizona, Oregon, 
um, you know, what these teams were really going to to be in the end. You, you just knew there was a lot of experience. There was some talent there. And it's going to be an interesting race. And now it's an interesting race for a different reason. There's a lot of injuries. There's been poor performances in the first half of, you know, the non-conference. And, and this team's got a great shot to still make the tournament. Totally. 100% agree. Uh, Jason, take me back to what it was like to be a student athlete at the U. Fantastic. I'll, I'll just – I'll start by saying that. Uh, and, and I say that because – I also, for the people that don't know, I also started my my career at another institution, and this is not about comparing San Diego State and Washington. It's about just the experience in, in the, the University of Washington's campus and and uh, the academic prowess. Certainly there was a, you know, I, I've said this to people, the – the level in the Mountain West, really, it was the WAC then, but really it's essentially the Mountain West Conference now that I played in at San Diego State. Me moving from the WAC to the Pac-10 was an enormous jump athletically, you know, physically to, to make that jump playing against guys that were going to be future NBA players. It was the same way making that jump academically uh, because there was that much more um, – that much more onus on the education and, and it, University of Washington is an unbelievable institution. But also, I think the one thing that you felt is a sense of there are people here trying to be great. There are people here that are that are they're doing their best and have real goals, whether that's professional goals uh, athletically or professional goals career-wise, you just saw the intensity of people that wanted to be really good, and you saw the commitment from people, the coaches, the support staff, academic services, everything about the University of Washington uh, from upper campus down saying, we're about being one of the best institutions in America, and this is what you're a part of. Hopefully, you rise to the occasion and and you do your best because that's what's expected. Yeah. And it was amazing. I think that it's so often about the leadership and the people, and it goes back to your coaches, the administration, the athletic director, uh, university president. Sure. But also it seems like there are certain places that are able to sustain that kind of thing consistently. And so um, the culture builds. And I think one of the things that strikes me about the U is – uh, coming in from the outside, seeing how prevalent that culture is and how important that culture of success on the field, in the classroom, in the community, that's that's an important thing, not just in one sport, mm-hmm. but within the athletic department, within the university, and across time at the university. Mm-hmm. That's what's really impressive to me. It, it is. I mean, that's where you build – that long-standing University of Washington, there's the W, this is what this place is about, by being great every single place that you can be great. And that goes across all sports. That goes across uh, all professors and, and you know schools of, of thought. Um, but that foundational and that cultural aspect is, is really big. There's a lot of people that, you know, they spend a ton of money and maybe they win, but it's not everywhere in the university that it is great. It is in a sliver of the college experience, of the university experience, of the community experience. I mean, University of Washington, uh, the Pacific Northwest, Seattle specifically, um, you know, I, I know the uh, 
<laughs> the other the other public institution across the state, you know, might have some things to say about that. But this this community is a University of Washington community, and it's been that way for a long time. Yeah, and I think um, you mentioned that there are certainly places, and, and people can come up with their own examples of where this is the case, where it's not necessarily. Uh, an example of greatness in the classroom, in the community, you know, throughout the university, all those things. But um, that that has kind of created a cynicism around college sports that I think is unfortunate because it's not the case everywhere that, um, you know, shortcuts are constantly taken mm-hmm. or, or other things along those lines. And I think you do have to evaluate cultures one at a time. And talking about men's basketball – what I see Coach Hop building, I, I just see as the real deal. I mean, give me give me your assessment of what you see a year and a half into the Coach Hopkins era. To me, the authenticity coming out of this man and the the uh, the character that he's trying to build and the culture that he's trying to build, to me, it's the real deal. Yeah, you get exactly what you see from Coach Hop. I mean, for people that never had a conversation with him and they see him on the sidelines or they hear him on a post-game interview, the passion and the commitment, the enthusiasm. I mean, when we're off the air, he's high-fiving us. Yeah. I mean, people don't know that. Right. And he's not doing it for – the. we're off the air. There's no reason. There's no show. He, he doesn't need to do – he's doing that because that's who he is. He's chest-bumping people for no reason in the middle of the <laughs> hall. He just has a way about him that I can see from, you know, uh, from recruiting to donors and academic folks, um, upper campus. People say, you know, he's a, a great fit for what we're trying to do here, and he's building a solid foundation. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. That's the one thing – it's not easy to win in college sports period across the board. It's not easy to win. And there's always a bit of, um, of, you know, looking over your, your neighbor's fence to see what, what's going on. Right. And keeping up with the Joneses, there's, there's always that war of facilities and this, that, and the other thing, but you still have to have the people, the people to make that stuff actually matter and work and and i think in coach hop and the staff i think you, you certainly have that yeah uh, something i'll never forget is maybe what maybe the fourth or fifth game of last year which was my first year doing basketball we're playing uc davis or something like that it's thanksgiving weekend and my wife's parents are in town and um they're at the game we got them some tickets and they came and checked it out and everything and they were kind of sitting you know how it is up by us in yeah. the broadcast area just hanging around waiting for us to, to finish up the postgame show. Coach Hop finishes our conversation and walks over to them, not even knowing that they have anything to do with me or anything, walks up and just shakes their hand and says, thanks for coming to the game tonight. I right. hope you come to another one. Right. I mean, whoa. Yeah. That's big. It is. That's big. The, the investment that he puts into every single individual in Husky Nation who wants to try to – express their gratitude and their thanks and their excitement it's there it's real and I, I just think that's the kind of thing that creates a long-standing tradition and long-standing success and, and notice his relationship with the dog pack yeah i mean the student section that's right there right behind the washington bench and in the center of the court i mean he is he's just fired up he's trying to get them fired up he's taking energy from them he's giving energy i mean he is he is that guy and um you know hopefully 
hopefully over time, all of that that they put in continues to translate into building a sustainable program that keeps on winning and competes for championships. What was it like uh, with the dog pack and everything when, when you were a student? It was different. I mean, it, it was different because we weren't we weren't as good. We were we were the team that was trying to that was trying to to bring the program back to some prominence, right? I mean, it was in the mid '80s when Detlef Shrimp was around, and they went to a couple of tournaments. Um, you know, there was some a little bit of buzz about the program, and then it fell onto some hard times. And you know, my senior year was the first time that we'd been back to postseason in you know, almost a decade in forever. So we were just trying to get the fan base, you know, coming back to the to the arena. Um, this was in the old heck ed and differently configured where there was a, you know, I don't even know if you've seen these photos. There used to be a track mm-hmm. around the perimeter yeah. uh, and removable stands, right? So, um, you know, just a, a, dip, a different atmosphere. But when – when we performed and when there were rivalry games and, you know, when the students were in town, there was still, you know, a, a great sense of, of pride to play in front of the hometown fans. Uh, there was that game where you had nine steals. That's still to this day a school record. And we joke on the air in like a fleeting second when we have a moment that if you can survive the Matisse-Thibel era, you're going to be around until kingdom come, baby. <laughs> but it, the, thing that's, the thing that's really crazy to think about is, you know, so we've talked about the experience of that game for you off the air, but tell people, tell fans who might remember you coming up with nine steals in that game. Nine steals is so many. Like, what? what's it like as you get, you know, your third, your fourth, yeah. your fifth? Oh, my gosh, here's a sixth. This this number just keeps climbing. I'll tell you, it's, it is one of those moments where you don't realize while you're doing it that you have as many as you have once it's totaled up and you see a box score or after in the post game, they say that's a school record or you just, you just don't know it. What you're thinking is, Hey, I'm going to let's, let's do my job. First of all, there were a couple of times though, where I got a couple in, in quick fashion. And I was like, wow, I I must have a bunch of steals. I didn't know how many, but I knew that I must've had a bunch of steals, but you know, to be able to impact the game, and that's where a guy like Matisse Thibault, I have the utmost respect for his defensive prowess because he stands on the top of that 2-3 zone, and as a guard, if I was playing against him, the angles that you have to make a pass to get it from cross-court or into the middle, he doesn't give you much room, and he's got great anticipation. And so, you know, anytime that you, you're able to collect that many steals um, – you know, it's a great individual accomplishment, but it's also a, a team award as as they all are in sports. But I tell you what, I don't know how many more games there are left. What, 17 games uh, before Pac-12 tournament and, and postseason? I agree with you. If for whatever reason Matisse doesn't get nine, I'm just going to make my own plaque and be like all-time <laughs> lifetime, all-time lifetime single game. No one that could ever break this because he's, he's the guy. He's, he's the he's one the guy. He's the one you would expect. No doubt. Although what's funny about that is you always say the, the craziest part of your nine-steal performance is it didn't even lead the Pac-10 that week. No. <laughs> so I'll tell this real quick. So I had nine against Eastern Washington, and literally, <laughs> literally maybe the next day or two or three – UCLA played Florida A&M in Pauley Pavilion, and Tyus Edney had 11. <laughs> and I'm like, 
I just broke my back to get nine. This guy had 11. This yeah. is crazy. So double-digit steals is unbelievable. That's pretty funny. Um, I know uh, there's there's so much that you learn from the student-athlete experience at UW. You learn from your coaches that there's the NCAA advertisement that they put out all the time. It says there's 360,000 student-athletes, mm-hmm. and 99% of them will go professional in something other than sports. Right. And here you are uh, as a professional that's doing exceedingly well in the Seattle market right now and has been for two decades. Update people on on what you're doing and give me a little bit about what you learned as a student athlete at the U that has helped you navigate some of the challenges of professional life outside the classroom. Well, I think sports in general, they are – they are the reality TV of, you know, the, it is what it is, right? It's it's playing out in front of you. Um, so you, you learn how to handle adversity. You learn how to handle success and failure, and you create goals, and you sometimes achieve them, you sometimes you don't. But you have a perseverance about you, I think, that um, when you compete at a high level that you understand, you know, no one's going to give you anything, and you've got to work, and you've got to continue to fight. And um, I think those lessons, you know, student athletes just inherently learn. There's competition on your own team. There's competition just to play. Then, then you get to the point of having to play against somebody else, right? I mean, that's just what happens in the day to day. And and you're always competing against yourself in that regard, right? Uh, you know, how do I get better? How do I hone my craft? And and so. Um, uh, I think one of the other things that was great about the student athlete experience in in that way is you're introduced to a network and a community of people that that love the University of Washington and hopefully at at some point you have the uh, the fortune to connect with them differently than you do when you're a student athlete. You know, sometimes you, you've been to these events, you've emceed these events and you've hosted events of, of, of great supporters of the University of Washington that come um, to the end of the year banquets or other student athlete, um, you know, events. And, you know, whether it's that first job or it becomes a relationship down the road that you you then it becomes a friendship and it becomes a business relationship and it becomes families travel together and all of those things that you you don't foresee when you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old that, you know, two, three decades later, you look back and you go, all of these relationships were forged at the University of Washington to have have played a role in whatever successes or, um, you know, whatever you want to call them that have played into my life and many other lives, uh, you know, in the city. And so I've taken that into the business community, whether that was first in public relations and now, you know, uh, in the insurance world and, uh, and still in some public relations, but whatever it may be, you know, you just get an opportunity to do that. And then you have, I think the best part is then you have the opportunity to give back. You have the opportunity to become one of those mentors and become one of those people that hopefully hires the next, whether it's student athlete or University of Washington or or whatever that may be. Uh, I think that's the best part because it is it is a circular experience. Yeah. You led me right into my next thing was I was going to let other people know if they don't that you're a member of Tai. You're, you're part of Tai Club. Yeah. Why is that worth it to you? What what do you what do you see as? Well, first of all. I think under the leadership of, of Jen Cohen, um, you know, you, 
you see her passion, right? This is why the the Coach Hopkins and, and Jen Cohen thing really fit. Mm-hmm. You, you know her personality, his personality. You can see how she was – this is my guy right here. <laughs> you, just, you just see it. But, you know, there's I'm – on, I'm on an advisory board for Taiyi that talks about some of the things um, that, that happen uh, outside of the athletic department that interfaces with, uh, you know, donors and ticket buyers and marketing and, you know, larger scale things about the athletic program. And, I, and I, you know, I, I think it's, um, it's an honor to be able to do that stuff. It's an honor to be able to lend whatever talents and voice I have to the strategic direction of the athletic department and the Taiyi Club in particular to try to make, um, you know, those engagements as, as unique and meaningful to bring in and attract more people. And, and, you know, when you have passion for something and you love the place, it's easy to do. And you sacrifice some time, but you get the reward. And so I, I think it's a, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, when you brought up giving back, one thing that I was thinking about is even from a – even if you were to look at it purely selfishly, by giving back, it continues relationship and continues your spot in a community – that is striving for bigger things together, which is what I think everybody wants to be part of. Like, who wants to accomplish some great thing and have no one to celebrate it with, right? right? So, to me, even if you're looking at it purely selfishly, there are... There are benefits to giving back, and I think there it's not just you. There's so many people at the University of Washington that feel so passionate about this place that they just continue to funnel back. They do. Continue to funnel back. They do. I mean, it's, it's what's fun is – you know, whether it's I, I don't have as much time to do it and it's the sport isn't set up as well in basketball as it is in football to to um, to tailgate and to do some of the things that people do prior to to the game. And, and obviously you and I have radio commitments, but it, it's always fun to walk through uh, some of the tailgating prior to I mean, generations of families and people that have had their spot for years, decades, you know, from being students or their parents went there, their grandparents went there, you know, that also shows you the legacy, uh, you know, and the staying power of the brand of the University of Washington. Yeah. It's been awesome to see um, just exactly, A, how big Husky Nation really Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. I think the Rose Bowl was a great example of that. Um, You know, I I grew up in Ohio. I know how uh, Buckeye Nation will travel to games. Sure. Often they will be 75% of the crowd at a game that's 3,000 miles from Ohio. And yet a Husky Nation was right there, 50-50 with Ohio State. They're like, you're not going to out-represent us. It was a half a wall of purple at the Rose Bowl. And so Husky Nation is not just enormous, but it's proud. And it's it's awesome. I I think we talk about uh, sort of – what Jen Cohen's trying to do uh, from a leadership standpoint within the athletic department and, and trying to get everybody, whether it's an administrator or a coach or a student athlete, all synced up to this idea of grit, growth, service, humility. Those are the four pillars, grit, growth, service, humility. And I just love those four. I really think that, that so much can be built and so much can be accomplished off of those four. I feel like, there's such a natural cycle with those four as well that one leads right into the other. Mm-hmm. When you hear grit, growth, service, humility, what what do you think? What what stands out to you? Honestly, my entire student athlete experience. Mm. I mean, it just that's the image that comes into my brain is you know because you got to work, 
you gotta work. You gotta compete. You gotta you've gotta take advantage of the opportunity. And that's 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 having that that in you, that fiber that says, "Hey, I'm gonna grind here." That's that grit, right? And if I do that, I'm gonna grow, you know. And then we, I mean, literally everything that you just said goes back to my comment about then having the opportunity to give back. That's service, right? You know, it just, it all makes sense to me. And, and and I didn't say what I said about my experience to match those four things. It just, it, it, it happens. It happens when you go through that kind of process and to be able to, to, you know, articulate that and say, these are what, these are the four pillars and this is what we're trying to build. You know, you have that mindset going in, whether you're a student athlete or whether you're a part of the support staff or your athletic department, whatever you have, like, hey, we're all in this. And if this if you believe in this and you dig in, we're going to we're going to achieve some great things. Yeah. The the service part, I feel like it leads right into humility, because so often when people serve others, they end up feeling like, wow, that person that I was serving, they're way stronger than I ever could be, right? Or or I got way more out of that than I possibly ever could For give, sure. right? And then so there is just a natural humility that's a byproduct of the service. And then from that humble spirit, you can't help but think, like, there's a lot of work left to do. Let's let's put the grit back on and let's get right back into it. No, that, Tony, you can't, you can't lead if you're not willing to be led, mm. you know? And I think that's – that's that thing where you sometimes you you have to be humble and 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 you have to understand that part of the process and I'm not saying that people don't just come in and say I'm ready to go I'm ready to take the reins but if you're if you're too stubborn to take any other counsel and you're too stubborn to listen to other opinions and you think you got it all figured out chances are your experience is going to be very different <laughs> <laughs> very very different but if you are willing to learn and humble yourself and grow and do all of those things, you have a great chance to be able to capture, um, you know, capture the community, capture your teammates, capture your coworkers, capture humanity and, yeah. and, and, and go. Yeah. And I mean, I think as much as we all love to kick our feet up and, you know, maybe crack open a cold one and watch the game, yeah. right. That entertainment value is really high, but if it's just for the sake of entertainment, then it's ultimately empty, right? And and, and it, it all does need to serve a bigger purpose. And I feel like what's going on at the University of Washington is preparing young men and women for all these other things, this great growth service humility that's going to serve them for the rest of their lives and serve all their their network for the rest, of, right. the, for the rest of their lives. Uh, it's just such a cool thing to watch. It's such a cool thing to have a front row you know, seat for and um, – you know, I, I think it's it's a really cool thing to be a part of, uh, even just in some sort of small way. So, finally, you know, putting putting a, a, a bow on this thing, uh, you know, moving forward and 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 uh, looking for the rest of the basketball season. Uh, I just know I'm excited. Yeah. I, I don't know where it's going to lead us. I don't know if we're going to get to the NCAA tournament. I don't know if uh, we're going to win a Pac-12 championship. I certainly think we got a great chance of doing it. Yes, but I think this is all this season. I just kind of can see it's all part of the building block in that greater narrative of what's going on with Husky men's basketball. It's exciting. I mean, it, it really is. Is No matter where you stand um, in your belief on where Washington basketball is and getting to the NCAA tournament, uh, 
we're all on our edge of our seat. I know that because mm-hmm. every game matters. The growth of the team matters. What everybody else in the country matters. And if you're a college basketball fan and certainly a fan of the University of Washington, you got to be pulling for these guys. This is a, a, an interesting group of kids, especially the seniors who've been through a lot, uh, a big swing in their careers. And it'd be nice to see them cap it off with a with a tournament appearance. It takes a lot of grit, growth, service, and humility to call 500 games, uh. Jason Hamilton. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for all you do looking forward to doing 501 with you in utah love it thank you tony some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with allstate not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane why pay a rate based on anyone else get one based on you with drivewise from allstate not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.